Last week we started with the book of Acts, and primarily I was focused in on the fact that Acts is real history. Okay, I, I honestly, as I stand before you right now, I believe that the book of Acts, the book of Luke, along with that, the rest of Scripture in reality, that we're focusing in on these this particular book. I believe you can, when we read these things, we can look at it and go, this happened. This is real. This is just as trustworthy as any other ancient history, and more so because God has had his hand and seen to it that here we are uh, on the other side of the globe reading this history of the Lord God. This week we're going to take our first real bite of Acts. Are you ready for it? Take our first little chunk of Acts, right? We're going to take a big bite into the the, the, the subject material here, what, what are we going to talk about? If you were here on Wednesday, you knew that I was getting ready to jump into chapter 2. But then as I started studying uh, the rest of the week, I went, I can't go to chapter 2 yet. There's still more in chapter 1 i got to deal with. Um, just to give you an idea of what I'm trying to do, um, I've been referencing this book. Here's one of the Acts commentaries I'm trying to, to read through. That's a pretty thick book, isn't it? It's heavy, too. The introduction by itself... Is this much? That was the introduction. That's a book by itself. That's the introduction to Acts. There, I see the look at that big book. Um, here's here's the other Acts commentary I'm depending on. Right? Let's see. Here's the, here's the other one. This is my favorite one so far. Um, this one is uh, called the Christ-centered exposition. This one is really focused on uh, pastors that are studying uh, the Book of Acts. Uh, this one that I had. This was called the Acts of the Apostles, the, a socio-rhetorical commentary. I don't know what social rhetorical means, but that sounds weighty, doesn't it? Does it sound deep? Um, and I have a couple more here. Uh, this is one, another one, F.F. Bruce. This is an older one I've been looking at. Um, and I have a couple others here. And uh, so so each week when you think about, what's Pastor Matt doing? Right here, my friends. Right there. Oh, and studying math. I'm doing that, too. Uh, so... I've got a lot of information in my head, and one of the challenges is figuring out, okay, that's a lot of stuff. What do I bring to church? Right? I can I can bore the snot out of you, i got to be honest. Some, I mean, there's so much technical stuff that I've read this last week. I'm going, wow, that's that's not what I do. So what do I focus on? That's been the, the, the big question. Like I said, I was ready to jump into chapter 2 because I'm just chomping at the bit to talk about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. I, I feel sometimes like I know just, I mean, Jesus, the Father, but then this third person of the Trinity, I feel like sometimes I, I know very little about his role in my life. But yet, the Spirit of God is the primary uh, person of the Trinity that's interacting with us today. And so I feel like sometimes I need to know more about that. So I'm going to read a little chunk here, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read through verses 1 through 11. I'm just going to kind of read through on my pause a couple times, just throw in a little bit of thought, things I've learned along the way. And then I'm going to really focus in on verse 8 today. So let's just take a look here. Some of this will come back to you from last week. Acts 1. Um, have I prayed yet? I didn't pray. What's wrong with me? Let's, let's, let's take a minute. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you again for this day. Lord, I just want to pray now that as we look into your word, Lord, our hope is, is not in that stack of books. Lord, that's not our hope. 
Our hope, Lord, is not in my wisdom. Uh, God, our hope is that the Spirit Himself will be present in this room, guiding and directing, Lord, not only the study that I've, I've done this week, but, Lord, especially now, Lord, as I present your word, God, we're praying, we're hoping that the Spirit of God Himself will be here, be present, and pour out wisdom and understanding and insight into these ancient historical acts that are still impacting us today. God, I pray that you give us wisdom, that give us a listening ready ear to hear. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Luke writes, In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. I'm going to pause real quick. Notice that the commands that Jesus gave, that, that Jesus gave came through whom? You can look. What did it say? Through the Holy Spirit. I think Luke is already starting to point this out, emphasize this fact. Jesus had pointed this out during his ministry, but Luke wants to make sure right at the beginning of this, this age of the church, he wants us to know that the person of Christ was speaking through the power of the Spirit. And so he gives us those commands, and Luke points that out. <laughs> he continues, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, a word right there that only Luke uses. He presented himself to them by many proofs, evidence, hard evidence, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, pointing to the Spirit. That fact that it's a, a, the promise from the Father ties all the way back into the Old Testament, saying that this promise that's building up, this promise of the Spirit, is not something new. This is something old that ties way back to the beginning. So when they had come together, they asked him, question I think that's very significant for them. Lord, would you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, is now the time? I mean, you are the Messiah. Is now the time? I know that we, I know we were missing some things earlier, but Lord, is now the time? And Jesus' comment return, not in a rude way, but basically is that's not your business. He says, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Not for you to know that. And he takes their question, though, and turns it into a commission. And this is this is huge. Okay? And I just remembered that I have slides. Sorry. He takes that question and he turns it into a commission. They're still thinking too small. Lord, this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And, and Jesus is saying that's not, he doesn't say that's not going to happen. He just says, that's not your business. That's not what you're going to attend to. He says, in effect, guys, the kingdom, bigger than you were thinking. It's not about physical borders. It's not going to be about boundaries. It's not going to be about nationalities. And so he takes this question, you restore the kingdom. And he says, that's not for you to know. He says, um, uh, the 
the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority? That's not for you to know. He says this instead, but you, I think, purposely placed this commission after that question. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Here's the Spirit again. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, good. Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end, the uttermost parts of the earth. This is, this is bigger than you were thinking, guys. I know you're just fishermen from Galilee. I know there's just a tax collector here. I know we just have some, some down-to-earth kind of guys, but I'm telling you right now, this is where it starts. I get chills thinking about it. You're going to start in Jerusalem, yeah. But, but Jerusalem, that's where it's going to be. In fact, that's why he told him, he said, don't leave Jerusalem. This is where it's going to start. Something big. It's going to start right here in Jerusalem. But then it's going to go Judea, Samaria, and let's skip all the other ones, at the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Reminiscent, I think, of the Israelites following God in the wilderness and that pillar of cloud. Maybe reminiscent of that. I, I can't help but think that these disciples maybe even thought of that. I think as well, I wonder if they may have thought of, because this is very reminiscent of as well, when Elijah was taken up. When Elijah is taken up in this, this, this chariot of fire, he's taken up, and in, in, in the process of being taken up in front of a certain guy named Elisha. And Elisha was, it was kind of like passing off the, the torch to Elisha. I'm going up now. It's, the responsibility is on you. I believe that's exactly what's going on here. As Christ is taken up and, and having them see it. Saying, okay, guys, I mean, you just gave them the mission. That's what you're going to do. And then he goes. And then, like I said last week, in my mind, when I picture this event, I, I just picture the disciples standing there. And I, I don't mean to be humorous necessarily about it, but I just feel like I can just see them just standing there going. You think they were wondering? I mean, they'd seen a lot of stuff. But this, I think there might have been some sadness there. He's gone. But we got a mission. But they haven't really started that yet, so we're just kind of standing there. A couple of angels show up while they were gazing into heaven. And as I said last week, I just always picture the angels probably standing there with them for a moment. That's probably not the case. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them. I mean, they were standing by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you, what are you looking at? Why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. So the same sequence of events except in reverse order is going to happen again someday. You saw him taken up in a cloud. There's going to be a time when he comes back. I think, guys, you've got something to do. And you've got some place to be, maybe. Didn't he say go to Jerusalem? So that's where they're going to go. We're going to see that next. But let's go back to verse 8 for a minute. And I'm going to answer, try to ask and answer a few questions here. Uh, I think that has huge impact on what are we doing here today? What are we doing? Let's start with this question. Who are the witnesses? And I have the answer up there for all you ready, so you don't have to try to figure it out. 
Who are the witnesses? Let's go back to verse 8. Did you see what it said in verse 8? It says, Behold, right? Did he say that you are you will be my witnesses? This is spoken directly to those who are present, but indirectly to all of us that are here right now. You will be my witnesses. In reality, we are all now people who can speak on God's behalf. I want you to consider for just a moment this this passage of scripture, which I'll have to deal with again later, because this passage I want to read to you comes from the book of Joel, and it's the prophet. He's prophesying about something that's going to happen, and uh, it's it's going to be the very first scripture that the very first Christian pastor, preacher ever uses. So the very first Christian sermon in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches, the very first recorded sermon we have after Jesus leaves, is Peter, and he's preaching, and the very first thing he does is quote Joel. Significant. Think about it. The very first scripture ever used after Christ returned, right? After he went back up into heaven. And it's Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, it says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. Understand something right here. Since it, you can look at it, Acts chapter 2, verse 17 is where Peter did that first sermon, and Peter quotes this passage. And he quotes it saying, This is a response. See, this is you're, you're seeing this fulfilled. As the church age begins, this is being fulfilled. So understand that part of what we are, we are all now part of this fulfillment. And we can all, in a very real sense, speak on God's behalf. We are now the witnesses. I mean, the word witness is talking about someone who can be used in a legal sense to say, I'm bearing witness, just like the way we would use it. I'm bearing witness to what these guys saw. So we're, we're not the eyewitnesses, but we're witnesses to what they wrote. And so when we're in this world, one of our main goals is to say, here we are now today, that God's Spirit has been poured out on us in such a way that we are the ones that God has to be witnesses to these events that happened 2,000 years ago. And Jesus was alive, he was crucified, he died, he was buried. He came back, he spent some time with these guys, and we have the story, and we want to tell people about this story. You and I are now, in a sense, God's spokespeople. Think about those guys. Fishermen. Tax collectors. You know, not one of them was a ordained minister. Do you know that? I don't know one of those guys. How about us? God's spokespeople. Uh, let's get personal. Denise, Captain Klain, Jim Cook with his family. Right? Bill, now down at the police academy. Billy, taking pictures, getting Jesus. Right? All of you, I can go around this room, every single one of you. Uh, God has chosen you to be one of his witnesses. To, uh, there, there are people in this world that, that think this is a myth. And one of your goals is to say, it's not, it's real. It's not a myth, it's real. This really happened. And I want to bear witness to you that this, in all of history, there is no one who died and came back. Christ. 
You are the witnesses to what you have read and heard from these eyewitness accounts of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now this does not mean that God does not bestow on some the role or the job of teaching and preaching. It also does not mean that he does not call some to go. In fact, we have missionaries with us today that at one point they were called and they went. doesn't mean that. But having teachers and preachers doesn't mean that we are the only ones who are to testify about the things in this book. Does that make sense? Just because God has called some to be teachers, just because God has me up here today instead of you, doesn't mean that when you leave this building, God has not called you to go out to be witnesses in this world. That is absolutely this command that Christ gave right before he was taken up is not just their command or my command, it's your command. You are to be witnesses. Doesn't matter where you're at. Nurse station for some of you. Classroom. Bruce is here, I'd say the green bin. You're all called to be witnesses. The only difference between a missionary on the field and us in Gainville is location. Not identities. Their job, our job, is all the same. Be witnesses. So if you grab that and go, okay, okay, got it. Next question is, is how? How do we witness? Answer to that in suffering. Wait. I know some of you have corrected me because I don't leave these slides up long enough, so I'm going to pause for an extra second to let you write that down. And then I'm going to move on to that. I was getting ready to jump to the next one, and I did, well, man, I'm going to hear about that later, John. Wait a second. But let me give you a word. You don't try to copy this next word now. Okay, anybody recognize that word? There's what? what is that some foreign language? Yes, it is. It's the Greek word for witness that's used here. You recognize it? No? Katie was here. Here, here it is with English letters. The Greek word that's translated witness. This is what it looks like with English. Now, does it look somewhat familiar? What word does it remind you of? Martyr. This is fascinating. Those early Christians, as they were witnesses, now that word, the Greek word martyr, it meant witness. It could mean, in a legal sense, bearing witness to what they had seen, uh, standing up, testifying. That's what it meant. But those early Christians grabbed a hold of the teachings of Jesus. Let me just share two with you, and I'll come back to this. Uh, here's one of them in Luke, Jesus' teaching. He says, then he said to them, nation will, some of the end times, he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Or how about this one? John, Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours, but 
all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. You are not greater than Jesus. I, I have often, in my attempts to be a Christian witness, had this thought in the back of my head where I thought, you know, if, if I could do this just right, be the best kind of witness, I think they would love it. And that's not all wrong. I love it. I love the, the, the gospel. I love what's in there. And so somehow in my head I started thinking, man, this is so wonderful, so good. If, if, if I could do this just right, everybody would love this. Jesus said, no servant's greater than their master. If they hate, I mean, Jesus, imagine Jesus said, if, they, if there's anybody that can present everything as accurately as possible, would it not be Christ himself, full of grace and truth? And Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. One of the realities of being a Christian witness, a Christian witness to the events of who Christ is and a witness to the truth, is that not everyone, this is a sad reality, not everyone will love it. In fact, many will hate it. And because of that, they're going to hate you. I can get depressed about that. It's so good. It's so wonderful. The truth of who Jesus is just amazingly good. But Jesus wants us to know. And see, those first Christians, because they knew these teachings, they knew that when they began to bear witness about the truth of who Jesus is, that not everybody would love it. And that's one of the themes you're going to see all through the book of Acts. As they were witnesses, they began to be persecuted. We'll see it right off the bat. First, it's with words. They get mocked and ridiculed. Eventually, it's with beatings. Then, not too many chapters, a guy who's not even one of the pastors, Stephen, is killed. We call him the first martyr. There's that word. See, for these Christians, bearing witness began to be, through, through the next few hundred years, began to be so associated with the fact that when they, they stood and they said, we are going to testify for Christ, the witnesses were getting killed. And so now today, as language has changed, now today we use that word that were originally meant witness to talk about someone who has stood the ground in such a sense that they were willing to die for what they believed. That's pretty neat. These people understood to be a witness. It means I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to testify no matter what the outcome I'm willing to die for what we read in here. Now, I want to throw in a word of caution. There are some who call themselves Christians who say, I'm being, I'm being persecuted, but I'm going to be honest, there are some who, who say that, and the reality is, they're, you're a jerk, <laughs> okay? I, I have to throw this in here because I don't want you to be confused because there's some of us who... We take, we use our Christianity, we use the truth, and we don't focus on the gospel message. We focus on how we can bang your vows in the head with what we read in here, and you're missing the point. Christ was persecuted. These apostles were persecuted 
because of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was real, he died and he rose. And they died not because they were being jerks or being rude, but because when it came right down to it, they said, somebody said, either deny Christ or we're going to kill you. They said, you're going to have to kill us. We can't deny him. You know what we saw? Do you know what we saw? We saw him dead. Now he's alive. And then for these, we saw him shaking up. And he told us, the last thing he said before I left, he said, just bear witness to all the stuff that you saw. So how could we deny that? We're going to see this all through the book of Acts again and again. So then we say, okay, how, how do we witness? We have to take into account that part of being a witness for Christ could very quite possibly mean persecution. And maybe it ought to mean persecution. So then I have to ask the next question, how? Not how do we, but how can we? The answer to that ought to be clear already by the power of the Spirit. Isn't that what uh, Christ said? Isn't that how he began the commission? Isn't that how he started it off before he said what I'm going to have you do? Didn't he say something right before that? Let's go back to verse 8. See him still pausing again to let everybody write this down. Okay, so that is not what it said. Let's go back to verse 8. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped something. Right? But you will receive power. Isn't that how he started off? They asked the question, are you going to restore the kingdom? He says, that's not for you to know. And then he turns around and goes, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When I think about this aspect, I've told you twice already, I'm chomping at the bit to really dig in. I want to know more about this. I used a quote last week, and I used it again on Wednesday night. I'm going to use it again now. You may have seen it just a second ago. Uh, the quote talking about the book of Acts, this 30-year period of time where this, the world was turned upside down. And I love the end of that quote because the guy, his name was Michael Green, he said, it all began with a dozen men and a handful of women. And he had to say it just right. And then the Spirit came. We're just regular people. But then the Spirit came. And then you read Acts. And so when we read Acts, and some of your Bibles say, the Acts of the Apostles, I think it ought to be the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Taking regular, ordinary, average people, and changing the world, and spreading the gospel. That ought to give you hope. So when you say, okay, I need to be a witness, I don't know how to do that when I'm at McLean. I don't know how to do that when I'm one. When I'm around my family that's, that's not believing, I don't know how to do that when I'm at this place of employment, when I'm here, or when I'm hanging out with you. I don't know how to do that. Understand. You have the Spirit of God. Jesus doesn't want you to try to do this on your own. He says, I'm going to give you power. Consider this for a minute, because when, when I think about this, I, I, I think, okay, I may be missing something here. Listen to Paul. I read this on Wednesday night as well. Paul says this, when he talks about going to the Corinthian church, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And here I am, I'm reading it, trying to sound lofty. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I mentioned on Wednesday night that when I, when I think about the Spirit, so when I, okay, so here we are in the building, right? We're standing here, we're sitting here, and our hope is the Spirit of God will, will preach to us, right? In my head, I've kind of somewhere associated that, that when the Spirit really comes, that I'm going to sound great. That's silly. Not so much. Sometimes that's what we think, right? I mean, isn't that what we think? If there's, if there's a really good message, is it because that guy said it so Wow, that's a good speaker. And sometimes what do we do? We, we just start to associate, wow, really good speaker with... I think the spirit is there. This throws that out the window. Paul came and he says, "What? How did he come? Weakness and fear, my trembling, my speech, my message were not the implausible words of wisdom, but he did come with something. Demonstration of the spirit and the power. I think I want that." Do you want that? Take this beyond, because go back to Acts, right? This, the, he says the Spirit, right? The power of the Spirit. You'll be given this power of the Spirit to be my witnesses. And so you, when you're when you're in your workplace, and when you're at home, and when you're in your neighborhood, and you're wanting to tell someone about Jesus, and you're sitting there going, I, I don't know quite exactly the words to say, and, and I, I can't quite figure out. Understand that you, in that moment, can say, I have the Spirit of God. God, give me the wisdom to know what to say. And, and here's the thing. What you end up saying might come out bumbling, fumbling, stuttering, and you start to sound, well, you older people might say, Jerry Lewis, right? You might, you know, okay, so you may start, uh, and, and you sit there, you, I'm, 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 understand that you're, you're missing it because inside of that bumbling that you may feel like you're doing, God may, in that moment, take the, His Spirit and, and use those fumbling words and impact somebody's heart. So you can be speaking, you, you can't see that, but you're speaking, you're talking, and, and you're thinking, this is, you feel like your words are just falling to the ground, and you don't know. You don't know what might penetrate the heart that God is saying, I'm going to use that word. I don't know if I've shared this before, but uh, when I was in high school, um, there was a math teacher named Mr. Cooper who just passed away recently. And um, it, it, he was kind of a goofball, as math teachers are. It's true. I, I can admit it. Uh, I've done something kind of dumb. We won't talk about that. And he came to me out in the hall. I told me out in the hall, actually. I'm, I'm, I feel in my head when I replay I think he picked me up and dragged me in the hall, but I don't think he actually did that. He got me in the hall, and he said these words to me. I'll never forget it. He may have he may have said it just, but he was willing to say this to me. And I believe in that moment. I I I think when I look back over the course of my life, this is one of those moments where the Spirit of God spoke with power to me through this math teacher. And he said, "This is not going to sound profound." He looked at me, put it right up my face, and he said, "Matt Harmless, I don't think you're safe." Made me mad at first. But those words rang in my ears. 
for years. You don't know what God may use. And so you have to, as, as his witnesses, be willing. Just be willing to say, God, I'll, I'll say whatever you want me to say. You're not going to get it right all the time. You're not going to say it perfectly. You're not, it's not going to be eloquent. And you know what? You can give up on that anyway. Because there's been plenty of people on this planet that have heard some amazing speeches and walked away completely unchanged. But there's been some people that have heard faulty, bumbling words and it changed their life. So you, as his witnesses, don't try to sound smart and educated. Jesus is real. He died. He was buried. He rose again. There, there are evidences of it. And if I can't tell you about any of them, because I have said all the history, I can tell you this. He changed my life. Your life can become, in and of itself, a testimony, a witness. Some of you I know have spoken, to the, have spoken about that to me. Your family goes, you're not the same person. Man, praise God. You, you may be speaking to your family and you haven't even said a word. But maybe it's time to say a word. Maybe it's time to say what, what you know that God may want you to say. Remember, though, that being a witness may mean suffering. So you may say those words, and if it doesn't go so well, if they get angry at you, understand. Before the world hated you, who did they hate? Your Savior, Jesus. Let me hit this next. Who do we witness to? This may seem obvious, but let's think about this for a minute. All nations. Everybody. This is profoundly important. Let me, I think I have it. There we go. Got a map here. Um, Jerusalem is a picture of Israel. Jerusalem down here. So where did he say to start? Jerusalem. He said, wait for the Spirit. The Spirit comes. You're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem. So that's where they're starting. Judea is the surrounding area. Still very Jewish, by the way. Samaria. Jews didn't like them very much. Right? Many of those Samaritans were, we, we think of the good Samaritans. But the, for a Jew, the Samaritans were the ones who had, had mixed with other races. And so a lot of the Jews didn't like them, but Jesus says, this is where you're going to go. And then he says, to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? And just blows up after that. Peter, the apostle, standing there as Jesus went as a witness, eventually made it to Rome and was crucified there. James, not the one who wrote the book of James, but James, the son of Alphaeus, who was one of the disciples who was there, made it to Syria. He was stoned and then clubbed to death. Andrew, didn't know this until this morning, actually. Uh, Andrew quite possibly made it to what we think of as modern-day Russia. Philip, 
made it to Carthage, North Africa. Matthew made it to Ethiopia. And there were reports that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Thomas, this is one of my favorite ones, Thomas made it to quite possibly to India. In fact, there's a church in India, on the far side of India, in fact, that's called the Church of St. Thomas, where they, they have traditions dating way, way back where they believe that Thomas was there. Thomas was killed by being stabbed with four spears or possibly with arrows. Bartholomew, another one of those disciples, uh, also made it to India with Thomas. After Thomas was killed, he made it back to Armenia, possibly to Ethiopia as well. He's the one that traveled, we think, the farthest. There are various accounts of how he was he was killed, but he was killed. Simon the Zealot made it to Persia, was put to death because he refused to bow down to the sun god of Persia. Matthias, who we're going to read about in a little bit, was the uh, disciple that they chose to replace Judas, made it to Syria as well, and was burned to death. John spent most of his time in what we think of as modern-day Turkey. He was also the pastor at Ephesus. He ministered there for a long time. John was the only one who died of old age. But before he died of old age, he was boiled in oil. Do you think that these disciples, when Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, how do you think they took that? I think they took it pretty literally. I think so. I think they said, we're going to go. We're going to spread this. We're going to spread this gospel. And they did. They took it seriously. But I think one of the points that you can capture here is that what Jesus did in the way he said to be a witness, it, it just, just blew up their idea of what the kingdom of God was going to look like. And now the kingdom of God, it transcends borders, culture, and that's one of my favorite things as I've already started to study the book of Acts that you don't see them laying down that, that this is the way it ought to look. It just says this is what it's about. And there's a few things here that you, you need to do, but this is what it's about. And it's not about, for, the, for those Jews, it was so much about being a Jew. And, and all leading up to this, that's what it meant to become part of God's kingdom, was to basically become a Jew. And, and Jesus has just kind of demolished that and said, it's going everywhere. It's going to start in Jerusalem, but it's going everywhere. I think some of us forget that sometimes. When we think of what church ought to be, we think about things that are very American. You understand Christianity is not American. But at the same time, it is. And it's Russian, it's Chinese, it's African. Christianity has gone across the whole globe, starting in Jerusalem. And Christianity is not meant to be about race or language or culture, but it's about the risen Christ. I'm going to end with this last question. Why? Answer simple. Jesus. I've kind of talked about it in a silly way, but those disciples, as Jesus has taken up, I think that they're looking up into heaven. It was truly not just going, what do we do now? I don't think that's what it was. I believe that those disciples were 
but I want you to enamor him with Christ. He was truly their hero, their, their savior. They've seen all that he'd been through. Watched his amazing powers and rose from great and continued to teach them for the next 40 days, showing himself to them to, to be alive. I love the fact that Jesus, after he's, he's resurrected, even takes a few times to sit down and eat with them. I don't think it's because he needed nourishment. I think it's because he wanted them to know, I'm really here, and this is good fish. He wanted them to know. So I believe that these disciples, their passion for fulfilling this mission was, was captured up there. The reason why they were so dependent on the Spirit of God because they were captured by the greatness of Christ. And maybe, maybe the reason why some of us struggle isn't because we're not depending on the Spirit enough, because maybe we would get to that place if it started off with the fact that we were just enamored with the great, great Jesus. I want to encourage you if you find yourself struggling as a witness, one of the best things you can do is to grab that Bible. And I want to tell you, I'm going to tell you, read John, read Luke, read Matthew, Mark, read about Jesus. Ask God to capture your heart, your mind, your soul with the greatness of Christ. Because I believe that's where it starts, and that's where it started for them. Raptured up with Christ, seeing him taken up into heaven. You see from their life, they were passionate about fulfilling the mission that Christ gave. I'm going to close in a word of prayer right now, and I want to pray that God would, would capture us with the greatness of Christ. That that would be the foundational starting point for you. That, that the, the one thing that you can sit there and go, the greatest thing I know, Jesus. It's Jesus. Pray that that fuels you when you go to your places of work, when you go to your neighborhoods, when you go to uh, your, your, in your house with your family. You're looking for that, that driving motivation. Yes, we want to depend on the Spirit for power, but driving motivation of the heart that says Christ is the greatest treasure. I guarantee when that happens and you get to that place that you're going to want to depend on the Spirit. You're going to you'll be praying, Lord, fill me with your Spirit so I can present this truth in an accurate way because I want more and more people to believe it and to commit their lives to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I I ask now as I close in prayer, Lord, I pray one last time today that your, your spirit would be poured out on us in such a way that you would power us, empower us to, to be witnesses in Daniel. All of Daniel does not know. There are some here who think you're a myth, a story. There are some who think you're for children. There's some who think that, that faith is just something we, we just want to believe in, but it's not, it doesn't have to be real. Or we want to testify to the reality 
that you are real, that you were crucified, died, and rose again. Lord God, I pray that you would capture us with the greatness of who you are. Empower us with your spirit so that we may be witnesses starting off in Daneville. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.